Hello, everyone. Thank you for downloading this Before the Medals podcast. My name is Richard, and on today's show, we talk to Harlequins rugby player Carl Dixon. Such an incredible story with Carl only really finding rugby again at the age of 21. He is living proof that you don't need to be the finished article at 15 to have an amazing sporting career. Carl has just retired. Uh, just before this podcast has gone out and has had a phenomenal career with Harlequins. You can find out all about Carl listening to the next half an hour. We talk about the importance of playing lots of sports, the strong family unit, helping his development and taking those big hits. Please do like, share and most importantly, subscribe to this podcast. It helps us to keep going and interview the most incredible people for Before the Medals. To find out all that's happening with our podcast, please do go to www.beforethemedals.com and you can sign up to our newsletter. Thank you. Here's Carl. Okay, hello and welcome to Before the Medals. Uh, Today I am fortunate enough to be with... uh, Mr. Carl Dixon. Um, Carl was signed by Premiership Rugby Team Harlequins back in 2009 after his talents were spotted whilst playing for the Bedford Blues. Uh, In the 2011-2012 season, he won a Premiership Winners Medal as Harlequins defeated my team, Leicester Tigers, in the final. Um, I actually watched that in a on my stag do uh, in a pub in Newquay. So there you go. And at the time of this chat, um, Carl had played 159 times for Harlequins. He has also uh, been drafted into England squads. And in 2012, he played for England against South Africa Barbarians North. So, yeah, thanks for joining us, Carl, today. Thanks very much for having me. It's, uh, it's been... Uh, it's been nice to um, to see you just because uh, Leicester did get a little bit of revenge last week, but uh, not when it matters most. When it matters most, you uh, you got that title in 2012. But we're not going to talk about that. We're not going to talk about the medals you've won and all those amazing games that you've played in, but we're going to take you back. We're going to take you way back um, to where it all started. So uh, when did you, when did you first, what's your first memory of sport? So our first memory, probably on the sidelines uh, back in Germany, my dad was in the army, uh, just spinning spinning a rugby ball around. Um, I can't remember exactly what age, but um, I would say I was under 10 and just watching my dad do all, try all kinds of sports, not to any real uh, success, but um, he worked hard and uh, it was always fun to watch him. That's really nice. So you you have that initial uh look at, at sport from from a parent's point of view did you did you get involved was it what was his first age where you started playing any sport particularly so I probably started playing football when I was around nine or ten years old properly um, when I lived in sort of Manchester uh, just on a sort of casual sort of basis my mum and dad would take me down on a Sunday and uh, just would kick a football around with some friends at um, Ashton United nice Ashton United big name <laughs> Um, and uh, when did when did uh, when did rugby become come on the radar for you? So I started sort of getting into rugby when I was about twelve. When I went to uh, Barnacastle School, um, and that's the first time I actually started sort of uh, any sort of formal rugby sort of training. 
Okay, but you were still playing football at the time? Yes, yeah, so I still played football again just at school. Um, nothing major, it was just school level now. I'd sort of finished um, playing sort of Sunday league football just purely because I was at boarding school. Was sport something, uh, so you're playing, playing multiple sports, you know, is it, it was sport something that you were watching, that you were sort of really interested in, or was it just another part of your life at the time? No, I, I enjoyed watching it. I watched it all the time and um, played as many sports as I could growing up um, just because I purely, I did a little bit better than that than I did at the academic side and uh, just enjoyed it a lot more. Okay. And in terms of um, rugby, do you remember when you when you when did you first commit to rugby, or was that a lot later on for you? Um, it was a lot later on for me. I sort of played football, rugby, cricket all the way through school from sort of twelve up to sixth form, and then after I finished that, I um I sort of stopped playing all of it. I went to university, uh, studied sports science, and played a little bit of football with my friends on a, on a Wednesday, just a, a uni league, and uh, stopped playing rugby while I was at uni. This is amazing, amazing story because obviously, you know, for a lot of a lot of people that we speak to on the podcast, it's it's a young age they commit to that one sport, and you know, as young as sort of nine, ten, eleven years old. Whereas for you, you're going through university and you're still not thinking about rugby being a job. This is this is just you know you're, you're playing football still, you're playing rugby, um, and uh, it's not something's job. When when was it where rugby started to become what age were you where rugby started to become okay maybe I could do well at this sport so I sort of finished uh, my degree and um, I opted to do a PGC at Bedford uh, Uni De Montford Uni and um, I just thought to myself do you know what I really enjoyed rugby when I was younger I'd like to get back into it and um, I asked uh, for a trial at Bedford and um, as you can see sort of the rest is history How, how old were you then I was nearly 21 so hang on so you're at uni, you do your university degree, you come out and you say, you just go go to a, a team, it's a pretty good team, Bedford, you know, it's not a, 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 you know, it's not in the premiership, but it's a very good standard of rugby. I fancy a trial. You just knock on the door and say, yeah, yeah by the I, way, I haven't played for a while, but... Um, so I just rang up their academy manager. I got a number from a friend and um, just asked, I said, I'd obviously going to be at university there. I'd love to come down for a trial. Um, and uh, see how I go. And they were more than happy to welcome me down there and see how I went. And so you're a scrum half. Did you play scrum half when you were playing rugby at school? So I went through quite a few different positions from scrum half, pretty much all the way across the back line. And people would be very surprised to hear that I actually played seven for a little bit while I was at school, <laughs> which is uh, unheard of now. Seven. Exactly, a very big seven. Um, but most of the time I finished up playing at nine in my, my final years. And when you went to Bedford and you, I mean, I've got this amazing uh, vision of you just sort of, oh, well, I'm in Bedford. I might as well just go and play rugby at, um, at Bedford. Um, did you did you go and think about, right, well, I'm, I just fancy a game or did you think, right, I could, I, I'm a scrum half? Um, oh, I thought I was, I was a scrum half. Um, I just went along and just thought, you know what, I've got nothing to lose. I'll give this a shot, um, you know, alongside my PDCE. And, you know, the, when I first joined, there was four nines. I was the fourth choice nine. Fortunate for myself, but unlucky for other people. A couple of them got injured. So it just gave myself that opportunity to um, move myself into the first team and kind of show what I can do. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? That, you know, you know how opportunities arise from, from certain situations. But, you know, by knocking on the door, you're obviously starting the opportunity, you know, creating that opportunity for yourself. Um, 
just taking you back a little bit. So when you're at school and you're, you're playing, you know, football and rugby and cricket, um, how serious were you? Were you, was it something that you were changing your lifestyle for at the time when you were at school? Was it, were you sacrificing certain things? No, I mean, at school, it was just all about fun. Um, I just wanted to play as many sports as I could. It was not a case of, you know, diet, not not having a drink or anything like that. It was just about having a good time with my friends and enjoying sport, which I did. Enjoying it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think a lot of people that we, you know, we speak to is that initial passion for for sport, which drives you on. And it seems like you uh, you had that in abundance. I know um, as well your your brother plays rugby was that a help or a hindrance was he playing rugby at the time and and was that something where you would be uh looking at and thinking okay yeah well he can do it I can do it well I mean obviously when I went to university he started playing for sort of Scotland under 18s at rugby he took rugby a little bit more serious he didn't go to university he just sort of went straight into the Newcastle Falcons academy yeah. and um, I was just really proud of him I thought he did you know amazingly to get there he changed his allegiance towards the end towards England but um it was not a case of you know he's done it I can have a go it was just more individual I just thought you know what I'd like to give this a shot and um you know it all worked out I think it's amazing I mean I you know I don't think in this in this first series of podcasts we'll meet someone that uh really even started thinking about their career at 21 and even then you were just doing it for a bit of fun at Bedford while you were doing your course when when did things at Bedford when did it get to the point where you thought hang on a minute I'm pretty good at this so it was so I've been doing my PGC for three or three or four months and um, I was starting to make some real headway at Bedford and I just thought do you know what I really want to give this a shot and um, in the January I quit my course for my PGC and uh, went sort of full-time with rugby and, uh, you know, just thought I'd give it a really good crack at it and focus fully on it. And was that a sort of almost like a New Year's resolution sort of thing? Just like, was it, or did it happen just to be that time of year? It just happened to be that time of year. Um, I was, I was playing a lot. I was really enjoying it. And I knew at that point you can start to, you know, look to earn contracts and that's when people start talking. So I thought if I uh, could get myself full-time, making sure I was training all the time, I could uh, potentially earn a, a contract in the future. So you, you're leaving your course. Was that a tough decision in the sense of risk or did you just think to yourself, I could come back to it? Or did you just sort of think, well, I've got the confidence to go and, and try and be do, do the rugby? Um, it was more that I knew I could come back to the course. So it wasn't a case of if I left, I that was me done. So I knew I could come back, back to it. So I just thought, but if I um, give it a, a good crack, then, um, you know, and it doesn't work out, I've always got that to fall back on um, and go and teach potentially. So you're 21. You think, right, you know what? I'll give it a go. Got nothing to lose. I'm going to finish the course and I'm going to have a go at rugby. How did, how did, the, how did the training change for you straight away? Did the mindset change? Did you become more dedicated overnight? Was it a big shift? Yeah, I mean, it's a massive shift because you're there every week training up, regardless of, you know, sometimes doing two days a week and now you're doing it sort of three, four days a week. So you've got to make them little sacrifices just with, you know, not going out with the lads, having a few drinks because you want to make the most of your morning sessions um, and also create a positive sort of image to coaches and stuff like that. So, yeah, you changed quite drastically over sort of overnight, really, just to make sure you um, didn't... Uh, lose that mindset of, you know, potentially uh, 
you know, uh, deteriorating if you had a few drinks the night yeah. before or, you know, Was that late hard nights. to do for you? Uh, yeah, it was a massive change for me. You know, I'd used the university life. Yeah, exactly. Um, a lot of people don't have that before. Yeah, so you have the university life, you know, going out with your friends, drinking a lot, and then suddenly you've got to stop. And, you know, when they're asking you to come out, you just could be like, can't tonight. And it was kind of a weekend, sort of a couple of drinks here on a weekend after a game. Yeah, it's fascinating because obviously a lot of people that, you know, start their this process a lot earlier, they're, they're sacrificing the nights out, but really they're sacrificing not a huge amount of 15 years old, but at 21, yeah. you, you know, you're all, like you say, you're already set in those ways. You've got your friends and, you know, it's a, that's a, that's a big change, isn't it? To go at 21 to change. Yeah. It's a massive change, but you know, at the end of the day, you've got to make these changes if you want to give yourself that, the best opportunity of, you know, competing at the highest level and, you know, sacrifices have paid off, you know, in the end. And, yeah. you know, if I said, if I had to do them again, I, I definitely would. I wonder what it, the drive to to make that decision to finish the course and to, to have a go at it. Where where did that drive come from? Did was it like a flick in your your head? Did you think, or did you just literally think, I'm enjoying it. I'm I've got nothing to lose. I kind of was the first few months when I was training and playing a little bit. I just kind of realised that I was I was pretty good at this, and um, I just said to myself, Do you know what? If you're going to make it you've got to sort of make the decision either yeah. stay on the course or go, go full time. And, and that's the decision I made. And Was there, know, a, was there a, a defining moment where the, the apple dropped on your head? or Not really a sort of defining <laughs> moment. It was just sort of, I sort of went, do you know what, let's let's have a go one day. I couldn't even tell you what day it was. And um, I just thought, yeah, let's let, let's give this a go. A big day in the life of Exactly, Carl yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, many years later, here I am. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is this is a... An amazing uh, story because, you know, like I said earlier, you know, the majority of people I speak to, it's, it's a really, really early age. But when you're 21, do you have, do you still have um, people that you look up to? Do you still have sporting heroes at that time? Or are you a little bit too older then and, and not thinking so much about that and looking more at your peers? Or did you still have heroes that you... I don't, I, I didn't really have any heroes. It wasn't a case of, oh, I want to be like, you know, George Gregan or someone like that. It was more sort of my peers around me. I just, you know, I got a lot of help from a guy called Don Malone, who, you know, I'd always talk to and ask for advice and stuff at Bedford, yeah, Yeah. a a fellow player. Um, And, you know, he just said, he said to me, listen, I I think you've got what it takes to to go. He'd been a professional at Northampton and towards the end of his career had moved down to Bedford to sort of finish off his career. And obviously I was looking to go the other way. And I'm just asking for advice. And, um, you know, other guys in the professional era, sort of a guy called Matt Volland, who, who's obviously retired now, but, you know, I was very close with and still am. And you just speak to these guys and ask them questions about what it is like at the top and um, what, what you need to do to get there. And these guys help me thoroughly through it. Almost become sort of mentors to you. <laughs> yeah, and, definitely. And help you through that, that process. I wonder if um, it, how important how important they were to you in the sense of, you know, especially coming into it so late and giving you that confidence you know how how does it feel when somebody comes up to you that you've seen had a career and they say you know you've got what it takes you you can do it oh it's massive you know it gives you that massive confidence boost uh makes you want to go out there and try harder and you know feel that potential that other people think you've got and um you know it pushed me to all the way to um where i am today and you know another guy mike rare he's a guy who i've got to thank a lot from where i am you know he 
he did one-on-one sessions with me, helped me improve massively, and um, I owe him a lot. So I wonder if uh, so. The next the next young kid that comes along at Harlequins, if he'll get a bit of uh, support from Carl Dixon, who did the same thing. Yeah, I mean we we have a mental system at Harlequins now. We have a few of the guys coming through. A guy called Callum Waters that I mentor, who's at Isha, um, and uh, he's he's come on leaps and bounds just in his last years and. You know, I, I hope, you know, I've helped him a lot and, you know, he goes on to have a very successful career. And does it take you back to those days with your mentors there at Bedford, the people that helped you? Yeah, of course it does, because you you see what you, you sacrifice as a mentor. You know, it's, they come up to you and go, can you come and have a look at these clips? Can you come do a bit of passing with me, a bit of kicking with me? You know, it'd be very easy just to go, I'm all right, thanks. I'm just going to go home or I'm going to go and do something else. You know, you take time out of your schedule to help these guys improve and, I think people did it for me. So, you know, it's only right. And, you know, regardless, I do it for other people. I want to see the best, even though at the end you look at them, they're potentially your competition going going forward, but you still want to, you know, help them out and give them the the best opportunity you can. One of the things we talk about a lot on this podcast is talent or hard work or mixture of both. And I, I really want to talk to you a lot about this because, you know, 21 years old, starting a, a, a career and, and you know at Bedford and starting to push and become more professional with your approach you're obviously a talented person to be able to do that you obviously have a talent but I wonder um if I ask you that question is it is it talent or hard work or or a mixture of both how you'd react to that one I'd say you've got to have the natural talent first you, you have to be talented um I feel to get anywhere in life but with that talent you've got to practice work hard to excel in that talent. Um, so I think you've got a mixture of both. I, I don't think it's one or the other. You know, people who don't necessarily have the talent can work hard all they want, but you've got to, you know, have that natural natural ability first um, to be able to uh, master it. A, a difficult one as well to, to answer it on that is we look at failure and how you deal with failure, but obviously until 21, there was no real failure. It was your choice, your choice not to, pursue sport and you went off to university were there any moments of uh, where there was self-doubt when you were at Bedford or were there moments where you thought you know when you're trying to push for that professional contract at a club like Harlequins were there moments where you had any self-doubt yeah definitely I mean you um you know the year before I signed for Harlequins Harlequins were interested in signing me the year before they couldn't due to um certain circumstances so you, you're looking around elsewhere, no one's sort of interested and you're just like, maybe this is sort of the end of the road. You know, you're always going to have them little bits of doubt in your mind. Um, but How did you deal with that? Did, you, did it drive you on more to, to play better or did you just, did you feel like it was, you know? Well, if, if I'm truly honest, what, it, you know, was obviously hard, but um, what I said is that I'd give myself one more year because they'd showed that interest in me and they wanted to sign me. I thought, do you know what, if I can do one more year at Bedford, Maybe they want to sign me again the year after. Um, and I knew I had to perform. So it kind of drove me on. I, I just thought, do you know what? I'm going to go all out this last year. If it works, great. Then I'm in the, in, into the, the big leagues. If it doesn't, then I've got stuff to fall back on, you know, as well. Well, I guess as well, if it doesn't, that you know that you've gave everything to yeah. try, right? Yeah, and I mean, yeah, definitely. So what changed? Did anything change during that year? Did you, did you focus more on on any particular aspect or was it was it just making sure that you looked after yourself and you did the right things i just it was just basically i'd done the same thing i'd done over the years it was just more 
you know, keeping focus, not sort of getting drawn to do other things. Um, and, and as I said, just giving myself that one year, making sure I went into every game right to make sure that I could perform my best and, you know, make sure these guys are watching each game that I play so that it makes their decision easier. So I think I think we, we've known this from what we've talked about, but, you know, it's interesting um, that you, you did have a backup plan. You know, this wasn't, you weren't all in on it. You had, you'd been to university, you'd got your degree, you'd started your, your teacher training. Um, was that something, do you think, was a, a help or a hindrance or neither really? And it was just... I, I think it was a help. I mean, you all massively know that, you know, if, if you do ultimately fail and you don't make it there, you can still play rugby at a very good level, but you can also work on the side. Um, you know, I, there's a lot of people nowadays who come into sport when they're young, 18, 19, 20, and because they signed their first professional contract, they feel they've made it. At any point during that, that career, I'm very fortunate I've played for 13 years. Some people might play for two years and it's right. What if I play for two years? What's happening next? And some people don't have that backup plan. And I feel like, you know, every person going into professional sport should have something to fall back on, regardless if it's 15, 20 years or, or two years later. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think it's, it's something now that um, a lot of the maybe academies and, and uh, different, you know, in different sports like rugby and football, they throw so much um, into the kids and build them up so much that the kids are almost thinking they've made it before they have. But the reality is it's only a very small percentage that end up in the fortunate position like yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've got from, I had a friend who um, played football for a while and he said, the, the manager's basically says it's the hardest thing to tell a 17-year-old kid when they're coming through football that they're never going to make it because they just thought they're going to be a professional player the whole time. And suddenly at 17, they're like, you're not going to make it. And that's starting to happen more in rugby now. And it's, and it's the same. We have our um, academies. Guys will be in it from the ages of 12, 13, coming up to 17. They get to 17 and 18 and someone goes, we're going to take you, we're not going to take you, we're not going to take you. And if you haven't got that backup, then it's uh, you know it's very difficult and it's obviously very hard to take. You know, there's only a fortunate few who actually make it through. Yeah. So taking you you back to your your 21, um, and you you've got your backup plan, but you're you're focused on you're going to give it all that all that effort you can to try and get that um, contract with Harlequins. What inspired you at the time? Was it was it people around you? Was it family? Was it the mentors? Was it was it was it music? What what inspired you at the time if I'm truly honest it's just my own personal drive it's for me it's I'm very driven if, if I want some <laughs> I go, go I'm it. gonna go for it um I don't need other people to sort of tap me on the back and give me a slap on the bum or something and go you you can do this it's it's about your own personal pride and, and where you want to get and what you want to achieve and that's that's all I needed um you know obviously people are, other people are different but that's just just the way I am yeah it's it's that mindset isn't it that driven mindset that I think does separate um, a, a lot of people. Do you, do you now, do you use anything to inspire you to get up for anything? Do you use music or quotes or are you a quote man or anything like that? No, I'm not a quote man or music. I just, it's, you know, I, I've got twin girls now. Uh, I've got a family, I've got a wife and it's just, you know, you go out there every day knowing that, you know, you're performing and trying, trying to make these guys proud, your family as well. And, you know, it's great. I go out there more probably now because I'm a little bit older. I enjoy it probably a lot more than I used to just because it was so, um, you know, such a hard sort of sport to, you know, stay at the top. 
And I feel when you get towards the end of your career, you, you kind of can sort of wind down, enjoy it a bit more. Yeah. The pressure's off a little bit more, and uh, you know it's great to be uh, great to be here. I want to take you a little just back to when you did sign that contract with Harlequins, and you've had that year at Bedford, and you've worked incredibly hard, and they come in. How did that all pan out for you? So um, halfway through the year, I got a, a phone call from Dean Richards, um, speaking to my agent. But he called me and just said, we'd love to um, have a meeting and uh, potentially sign for next year. And as you can imagine, um, I was elated, I, you know, overjoyed. It was a, you know, a dream come true. Premiership team wants to sign you. Um, and, uh, you know, probably words kind of express the, the way I went. I think I told all my mates at the time and, and uh, it went out for a few drinks. So that, you know, it's amazing. It's a, it's a big moment, but um, obviously that doesn't make the, the amazing career that you've had and you've played, you know, like I said earlier, 159 times for Harlequins. You could have easily gone in during that first year, had a year with them or, or whatever it was, and then, you know, thought you'd made it and left it. But you've had such a, a long career with Harlequins. How, how, when you went in, did, did your mindset become even more professional? Did you, did you switch on even more? Did you want to work even harder? Um, I don't think I wanted to work harder because I was already working pretty hard. Um, I guess that, that the problem in professional sport is you sign two year contracts. Yeah. So you have two years and then after that, if you know, you're not performing or then, you know, you kind of asked to, uh, to walk on. So, you know, you've got to work hard all the time, you know, every, year and a half after that time, the January when your contract's up, that's when, um, you know, potentially they're talking and looking at offering you new ones or saying they're not going to keep you and you've got to look elsewhere. So you can't really take um, take your eye off the ball. You've always got to be working hard and trying to trying to impress. And, you know, ultimately when you make it to the Premiership, the next level is trying to go to play for England. So there's always that, you know, uh, striving for the next level. That's good. Um, so we always finish the podcast with some photo finish questions, just a, a couple of little uh, quick questions at the end. Can you remember your first ever medal in anything? First ever medal? I'd imagine okay. it'd be something on a sports day with like a, I think I was, I, was, I used to be pretty good at the sack race. So they got the old, uh, go. the old classic medals. <laughs> and uh, any favourite motivational song back then? Got you going? What back when I was uh, in my sack race? Not in your sack race, yeah, maybe that, not so much. But uh, in your in your Bedford days, was there a particular song? Oh, anything you can remember? I, the, what the we song... like to do on this is take people interview. We find their era. You see, well, <laughs> I can't. To be honest with you, I can't remember back in uh, Bedford days. <laughs> recently, we used to the, the Queens boys used to uh, like the Daft Punk. Um, We're up all night to get lucky, which was a, nice. a massive song. Strong. Um, Favorite pre-game meal. I know you like your food. I love my food. Uh, pre-game meal, I always have the the night before. Or in my early days, people find this very strange. I used to have a gin and tonic for the night before every game. Every game, I'd always have a Is gin and to tonic. To me down, or to make me sleep. Yeah. So I'd always have a gin and tonic. Now it's it's just more some sort of a pasta dish the night before. I uh, with the gin and tonic thing, I've, I've I used to exactly the same thing with running. So. Um, I was so nervous the night before a race and I was, I was about 16 and we don't obviously uh, advocate this but my uh, my dad said look listen you, this has got to stop you, you're not sleeping the night before a race and he gave me my first pint of Stella 
and uh, slept like a baby. And that became a routine after that. So night before a race, Stella. that was it. Pint of Stella, straight asleep. Um, okay, cool. So uh, the, the last thing I think was really interesting to talk to you about is what would you tell your younger self now? And would you, would you have started earlier if you know what you know now? Um, what would I tell my younger self? I'd probably want to start earlier um if i was truly honest if you said would i have made it when i was 17 18 i'd have said no i don't feel like i had the the mindset you know probably the frame you know it's particularly in rugby people develop at different ages yeah and i probably developed a little bit later um but i've had a unique uh i guess life been able to have the best of both worlds with uh, university and sports um but, you know, I guess that the biggest thing is, you know, you just make sure, you know, you do what you think is best for yourself. Um, if you think it's best to start early or start later or go to uni, that's that's probably the best advice I could give to anybody. I've loved um, speaking to you today because it's, I think it is rare now that you see, see someone that came into it a bit later on um, and managed to have a, an amazing career, even though you started a, a lot later than, um, you know, a lot of people that we do speak to on the podcast. And now you're in the, you know, you're, you're 34, you're still playing, you know, at the highest level. Um, I think I think it's just a great inspiration to those people out there that maybe are a late bloomer and, uh, like you say, maybe developing a bit later than others, that there is still that opportunity if you put yourself out there, you put yourself in the right scenario, you get the right mentors around you and people to help you, that actually you can still become a, a professional rugby player or a professional sportsman or sportswoman. Um, so I think it's just really an, an really inspiring story. So I just want to say thank you very much for uh, for speaking to me. And uh, we really appreciate your time, especially, you know, you've got the twins <laughs> here today with uh, Carl sat around a load of, uh, load of toys. So uh, he's definitely got his hands full. But yeah, really inspirational guy. Um, and yeah, thanks very much, Carl. Thanks very much for having me. Appreciate it. I just love Carl's story. It is great to speak to a sports person who came to it so much later in life than most people. It goes to show that people can develop at different times and that hard work and belief pays off. If you enjoyed this chat, please do let Carl know on Twitter at kdixon9. Also, please, please, please subscribe to the podcast. Just click that subscribe button, whether it be on iTunes, now Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We can only continue to do our work to find out what it takes to succeed at the highest level with your help. As always, this podcast is completely free. You can find out more about our podcast at www.beforethemedals.com or you can send us a message on Twitter or Facebook at Before The Medals. Thank you for your support. On next week's podcast, the final one in Series 1 of Before The Medals, we are very fortunate to talk to the two-time Olympic gold medalist and world record breaker, swimming legend, Becky Adlington, OBE. Have a great week, everyone. Speak to you then.